encouraging, advocating, courageously enduring, investing in the next generation, praying. These are the things that heroes do. So if you wanna be a hero, start here. If you wanna do the heroic thing, do one of these things, do all of these things, because that's what we've been talking about in recent weeks. Heroes change the course of things. Heroes make a difference. Heroes advance good and they hold back evil and they do so by encouraging, by advocating, by courageously enduring, by investing in the next generation, by praying. Now, when you look at these things and you think about these things, you need to understand and I need to understand, these, these things require time and they require effort and commitment and willingness and intentionality. Uh, when you think about this particular list that we've been talking about over the past few weeks, don't think of these things as a to-do list as much as you think about these things as a become list. Uh, we wanna become the people who do these things. Uh, we wanna be the people who are encouraging. Uh, we wanna believe in people. We wanna speak good words to people. We wanna speak life into people. We wanna give people second chances. We wanna advocate for people because that's who we are. We give our voice to people who have no voice. We wanna have courage and the strength to endure because we understand our purpose that God has spoken over our lives. We wanna be a people who just naturally invest in the next generation and we wanna be a people who pray who pray about big things and small things. We pray for ourselves and we pray for others. These are the things that we wanna do, but more than that, this is a picture of the people that we want to become because if you do those things that we've been talking about, that's good. But if you become the person who does these things, it will not only be good for you, but it'll be better for the people around you. And so I so much believe in what we've been talking about in this series. I actually wanna add something else to the list today. Uh, another superpower that teaches us how to do the heroic thing. And in order to talk about this new thing that we're gonna place on the list, we're gonna talk about the sipper from Susa. Um, a friend of mine called me this morning and said, hey, what are you preaching about today? I said, uh, the sipper from Susa. He immediately knew uh, what I was gonna talk about. Did you? Yes, no? Maybe so. Well, the sipper from Susa is none other than Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is one of my favorite stories out of the Old Testament. Uh, if you're not familiar with Nehemiah, that's okay, I'll catch you up. He was a cupbearer. Uh, being a cupbearer was a tough job. It was a dangerous job. It was a high stakes job because you had to sip the wine of the king before the wine was drunk by the king. So whenever the king got thirsty, the cupbearer got a little nervous because in the ancient world, it was dangerous to be a king because everybody wanted to be a king. And oftentimes the only way that they had a hope of being a king is if they killed the king. So there was always a wannabe assassin lurking somewhere in the royal court. And if you were a cupbearer, every time the king got thirsty, your palms got a little sweaty and you would go and you would sip a little bit of the wine and you would just wait. And then everybody else would just wait and the king would watch to see if you got sick, to see if you started choking, to see if you ended up dead. So that was the job of Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer. And because of it, he was a trusted person because if you were a king, you had to place your life in the hands of a cupbearer. And because they were so trusted by the king, they often became the confidant of the king or an advisor to the king because you felt comfortable talking to your cupbearer. You would talk to them about things that you didn't feel comfortable talking to anybody else about. That was Nehemiah. He was a Jewish cupbearer serving a Persian king. Nehemiah's family had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army generations before when the Babylonians stormed in Jerusalem uh, in 586 BC, they were taken as prisoners of war. So his family has lived in Babylon and in Persia for over a hundred years now. 
And Nehemiah, his story is that he becomes the hero of his people, the Jewish people. He's gonna become a hero to the city of Jerusalem. And he's gonna become a hero to the future generations of Jewish people. And so you may be asking the question, well, what was the heroic thing that Nehemiah did? Because when you read the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, there's nothing supernatural in it. There's no miracles. Uh, Nehemiah was not a miracle worker. Uh, He had no visions of anything from the heavens. He was not visited by angels. He did not hear the voice of God from heaven. There's nothing supernatural that happens in the book of Nehemiah. So you say, well, what was the heroic thing that he did that made him a hero to his people and future generations of Jewish people? Well, Nehemiah chose to lead. And he reminds you and he reminds me that if we're gonna do the heroic thing, we've gotta choose to lead. That's what heroes do. Heroes lead. Now, leaders... They know a better way forward and they take it. Leaders know a better way forward and they take it, but not only do they take it, but they take other people along with them. Now, when you talk about leaders and leadership, uh, it's almost something that we've become numb to. Uh, We're a bit calloused about it, or maybe even a bit cynical because it's a bit of a buzzword, you know, leadership this, leadership that. Uh, It's written about in books. It's talked about, you know, in conferences. There's seminars on it and trainings on it, how to be a leader, how to do leadership. Here's seven points. Here's 20 laws. Uh, But leadership, leadership, leadership. It's something that we should be concerned about. It's something that we should be interested in. Even though we have heard so much about it, we should lean in to this idea of leadership because leadership has application in almost every area of life, politics, business, sports, the family, friendships, the local church, on and on and on it goes. Most folks though, I have found in conversations don't truly understand leadership. They don't understand what it means to be a leader. Let me tell you a few things about leadership. Leadership isn't about having a title. You don't have to have a title in order to be a leader. Uh, Leadership isn't about being in charge because you don't even have to be in charge to be the leader or to be a leader. Uh, Leadership is not about having an opinion because everybody has an opinion and just because they have an opinion doesn't make them a leader. Uh, Leadership isn't about being popular because you can be popular but it doesn't make you a leader. You can have tons of followers on social media and you can get tons of likes and comments but it doesn't make you a leader. Leaders are people who move people in the direction of what's good, what's better and what's best. That's a leader. Leaders are people who move other people in the direction of what's good, what's better, and what's best. In other words, leaders use their influence by seizing the opportunity to use their influence. Now, when it comes to influence, leaders have it and leaders use it. Now, you may not think of yourself as a leader. I I know a lot of people that I talk to and they never think of themselves as a leader. So just stop thinking that way for just a moment and let me give you a thought replacement for that. Even though you may not think of yourself as a leader, think of yourself as someone who has influence. Everybody has influence with someone or a group of someone's, perhaps within your family, among your friends, at work, in the community, wherever it is, at the office, everybody has influence. And because everybody has influence, everybody has the capacity to be a leader. Everyone has the capacity to lead someone. If you have influence, you can be a leader. Now, just because you have influence, it doesn't make you a a leader. Leaders have influence and they use it. Everyone can lead because everyone has influence. The question is, what are you gonna do with your influence? And here's what you can know, that whenever you find a leader, whether it's you or someone else, you're gonna find a person 
who is using their influence to move people, to move someone else toward what's good, what's better, what's best. This is a mom, this is a dad looking at their sons and daughters, leading them in a direction of good, better, and best. This is a grandmother, a grandfather who takes seriously the idea of being a patriarch or the matriarch of the family, and they wanna lead their family in a good direction. This is a coach, this is a teacher, investing in the next generation. This is a business leader, impacting the community. This is someone engaging in local politics. This is someone serving nonprofit organizations. This is someone in the PTA. This is someone volunteering out there to do something good for the community. This is a follower of Jesus, using their influence to help someone else become a follower of Jesus. That's a leader. Leaders seize the moment to make a difference. They seize the moment to change the course of things. They seize the moment to advance good and hold back evil by choosing to lead. That's the story of Nehemiah. He was a leader. That's how he became a hero. That's how he changed the course of things. That's how he made a difference. And there's lots of things. There's tons of lessons that we can learn about leadership and about what it looks like to become and to be a leader from Nehemiah. I'm gonna give you just a few to think about. Here's the first one. Leaders have a burden. This is what Nehemiah teaches us. If you're gonna lead, if you're gonna become a leader, it begins with a burden. This is how the book of Nehemiah begins in chapter one. It says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity because there was a group of people taken as captives, but after they were in Babylon for about 70 years, Cyrus the Great, king of the Persian Empire, he allowed those captives to begin to go back home. So some of the Israelites returned back home and they began to rebuild the temple and settle back into the city of Jerusalem and to surrounding villages. And so he asked them, how are the people who've gone back home from captivity? And he says, how are things going on in Jerusalem? And so they said to Nehemiah, things are not going well. Things are not going well. We all know that feeling right now. You know, every day we turn on the news. How are things going? Things are not going well. So they said to Nehemiah, things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble, great trouble and disgrace. In other words, it's bad. It's real bad. The wall around Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So they tell Nehemiah, Nehemiah, this is the reality. Nehemiah, this is the situation. This is the circumstance. This is the way things are right now. And so Nehemiah, who's at really the top of his game, he's a cupbearer. He's got the ear of the king. And whenever you have the ear of the king, that's a good thing. So one of his closest people in his life was the king, the most powerful man in the kingdom. So Nehemiah, at the top of his career, living over there in Persia, it says, when I heard this, Nehemiah said, I sat down and wept. When I heard about what was going on in Jerusalem, when I heard about the bad circumstance, the bad situation, the terrible things that the people back home were going through, I just sat down and I wept. I was overwhelmed by it. I was overcome by it. In fact, he says, he writes in his journal, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Now the walls around Jerusalem had been torn down for 141 years. And those walls that had been torn down all the way back in 586 BC by Nebuchadnezzar's army, these broken down walls were a monument of embarrassment to the Jewish people. And not only that, it was dangerous not to have any walls around the city because that was the defense of a city oftentimes in the ancient world. 
So Nehemiah heard about all of this. And when he thought about it and he envisioned what it must be like and what it looked like back home, it broke his heart. The news broke his heart. That's where the story of Nehemiah becoming a heroic leader begins. And that's where the leader, that's where the story of you becoming a heroic leader will begin as well. It will begin with what breaks your heart, with what breaks my heart. When we see something, when we understand the reality, when we hear the news, when we experience, when we're exposed to what's broken and what's wrong, to a group of people in trouble, a group of people who are in disgrace, and it bothers us to the point that perhaps we weep over it to the point where it breaks our heart, it bothers us, it disrupts us, it brings us unrest in our heart. That's where becoming a leader begins. It begins with a burden concerning what needs to be done, about what needs to be different, what needs to be better, what's wrong and what needs to be made right. That's where becoming a leader begins. That's a little bit of my story as a pastor. Uh, I never wanted to be a pastor, I've told you that before. Uh, but when I found myself in ministry, I found myself responding to how I grew up. I grew up in a church uh, with a lot of rules, a lot of religion, but not a lot of Jesus. I grew up in a church where you couldn't ask a lot of questions about faith and science and about God or things unseen. Uh, you couldn't voice your doubt. Uh, I grew up in a church that had a lot of emotion, but not a lot of intellectual substance. I grew up in a church where it was all about the insiders and not the outsiders. Uh, I grew up in a church that really didn't value excellence, excellence of communication or excellence in music or aesthetics and the way things looked and the way things sounded. And so when I found myself in ministry, I knew exactly the type of church that I hoped to lead. I, I wanted to lead a church where you could ask questions. I, I wanted to grow up in a church where it wasn't about rules and religion, but it was about Jesus. It was about the gospel. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to lead a church where it was not just emotional, but it was intellectual, where we just didn't love the people on the inside, but we were focused and we were in love with people on the outside as well. I, I wanted a church that believed in doing things with excellence, that it looked good, it sounded good, that people knew that it was excellent, that they felt comfortable inviting their friends and family to come because they knew it would be something of excellence. That's what my burden was when it came to church, a church that reached people. They did what they did well, a church on mission with a compelling vision that would see people of all generations become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That was my burden. That's what broke my heart because I saw so many churches that didn't care about outsiders, so many churches that they didn't care enough to do what they did with excellence. And it bothered me. And I didn't wanna be part of that type of church. So my question is to you, what breaks your heart? Mom, dad, do you have a burden for the future of your children and the type of person that you want them to become when they're adults? Husband, do you have a burden for the type of marriage? Wife, do you have a burden for the type of marriage that you want, the type of family you want? Do you have a burden for what the culture at your workplace should look like? Do you have a burden for your community, for your world, for your nation, for the issues that we see around us? Are you broken by that? Are you troubled by that? Does it disrupt your internal equilibrium when you hear about some of the issues of our state, some of the issues and the brokenness of our community? What breaks your heart? And when you understand what breaks your heart, begin to ask yourself this question, what can I do about it? Because it may not be immediately obvious what you can do about it, but I guarantee there is something that you can do. Then you have to begin to ask yourself, well, am I willing to do what I can do? 
Is there a problem that breaks your heart that you would love to help find a solution to it? That's the beginning of becoming a leader. Nehemiah could have become apathetic. He could have ignored it. I mean, what, what did what was happening in Jerusalem have to do with him in Persia? But he decided not to turn his head away. He allowed it to break his heart. And that was the beginning of his leadership story. It will be the beginning of your leadership story. Second thing is this. Leaders have a burden that becomes a vision. So he's got a burden, he's brokenhearted. And now as he's broken by the condition back in Jerusalem and he thinks about what's wrong, he begins to envision what it would look like if it was made right. And so in chapter two, it says, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign, I was serving the king as wine. I'd never before been sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And then I was terrified because being sad in the presence of the king was, it was a capital offense. He could have put Nehemiah to death. And, and so he looks at Nehemiah and says, you don't look sick, why do you look so sad? Is it me? <laughs> and Nehemiah looks up and responds by saying, long live the king. How can I not be sad though? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So he takes a risk, he, he, he puts it out there. He's been thinking about this for four months. For four months, he's been thinking about this. He's been brokenhearted about this for four months. He's been praying about this and fasting about this and thinking about this. And the king asked him, well, how can I help you? How can I help you? And then with a prayer to the God of heaven, Nehemiah, he says, I replied, if it pleased the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. See, for four months, he's been thinking about what was wrong. But leaders do more than think about what's wrong. Leaders do more than just point at what's wrong. Leaders think about how to take what's wrong and make it right. That's what a leader does. Nehemiah believed that things didn't have to be this way, that things could be better, that things could be different. So he, he thought about it and then he began to envision what it would look like to make that right, what it would require to make that right. He began to imagine the future of, way, of, of what it could be and what it should be. This is how leadership looks in our lives, whether as parents, as spouses, as employers or employees, or as local leaders in our community. That's how we have to live our lives. We allow what breaks our heart, what burdens us to become a vision. We understand what's wrong, but more than understanding what's wrong and being bothered by what's wrong, we begin to think about and imagine what it would look like to be made right. And that brings us to the third thing. Leaders have a vision that inspires curiosity and courage. Now keep in mind, he heard the news about what happened and what was going on in Jerusalem and four months went by. He's not only praying about it and he's not only shedding tears about it, but he's, he's doing some work that we don't have record of that's going to become obvious in just a moment. He's praying about it, but he's researching. He's researching about how to rebuild this wall. I mean, what does Nehemiah know about rebuilding a wall? He's a cupbearer. We have no record that he ever built anything before this time, that he'd ever led a project of any kind before this time. But he sat around for four months and he just didn't sit around and feel bad about what was wrong. And he just didn't sit around and imagine what it would look like to be made right. No, he researched. He got some facts. He got some information. He was curious. He read about it. He read about what would need to be done and possibly what could be done and how to do it. And so he was curious. And then the more information he got and the more equipped he felt, the more courageous 
he also felt. And so he took a risk with the king. And when the king said, hey, what can I do to help? He took a risk and he made the ask. He knew what he needed because he'd been given it some thought. He, he didn't act in haste and he didn't act with impulsivity, but he was a thoughtful person. He knew what was wrong. He dreamed about how to make it right. And then he did the research to take his vision and make it a reality. He developed a plan. And that plan gave him the courage to act. Because if we're gonna know what's wrong, dream about what it looks like to be made right, if we're gonna develop a plan of how to make it right, sooner or later, we will have to have the courage to act. And that's what Nehemiah reminds us. We're gonna have to have the courage at some point in time to act, to take a step, to make an ask. Again, we go a little further in the story. Leaders have courage that inspire action. So he's curious, he's courageous, he makes the ask of the king, the king gives him what he needs, he begins to go back to Jerusalem. So he goes back to Jerusalem, and this is what he writes in his journal, recorded in Nehemiah chapter two, at verses 11 and 12. He goes back to Jerusalem, he says, so I arrived in Jerusalem, three days later I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. So he kept this close to himself. But now I said to them, this small group of people that he's out with, you know very well what trouble we're in. So you know what's wrong. You, you know the situation, you know the condition. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And then he says, then I told them about the gracious hand of God, how it had been on me and how my conversation with the king had gone. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. Nehemiah tells them the whole story. Let me tell you, I went into the king, my heart was beating fast. I looked sad, the king called me out on it. And all of a sudden I, I just found myself speaking up and I, I told him about the walls of the city being torn down and my people in disgrace. And, and then he asked me, what can I do to help? And I told him, I, I gave him a list of things and I had this plan that I'd been working on and I told him and he said, yes, and he sent me here. And boy, it was risky and I, I was scared every moment that I did it. And now I brought you guys out here and I brought you ladies out here and I wanna, I wanna show you up close and personal what's wrong. I, I want you to see up close and personal these walls that are broken down, the disgrace that we're all in, this embarrassment. I, I wanna show you the problem. And Nehemiah's courage, the courage before the king, the courage to leave his post, to resign his job, go to Jerusalem and to start a project that he had never even had experience concerning about at any point in his life to start a project that he had no experience concerning. And that courage was translating through his vision and through his conversation with these people. All of a sudden, their hearts begin to race. And all of a sudden, they're like, well, we want to be involved too. Let's, yeah, we see what's wrong. We understand how to make it right. Let's do this. Let's do this. And so Nehemiah, he, he acts with such courage. He, he doesn't make them do anything. He persuades them to get involved in on the solution. I think that's, that's how I think of myself as a father. That's how Allison thinks of herself as a mother. I don't wanna make my kids become someone. I wanna persuade them to become someone. I, I wanna persuade them to become a person who, who risks and who falls down and knows how to pick themselves back up. I wanna persuade them to become a responsible person knowing that I've gotta give them responsibility in order for them to learn how to be responsible. I, I wanna let them fall 
in order to teach them how to stand back up. I, I, I wanna have a vision, and then I wanna be curious about how to be a better parent, how to be a good parent, and then I wanna have the courage to actually take those steps, and hopefully, they'll join me in that endeavor and become who God wants them to be and who I dream for them to be. Spouses, we can do this with each other. You can do this at the workplace. You can do this on your team. The, the applications of what Nehemiah teaches us about leadership, it's endless. It's endless. Your courage, if you act in courage, people will be inspired to join you in what it is that you're leading them towards. And that brings us to the end of Nehemiah's story and the fact that leaders refuse to quit. Uh, Nehemiah, he has the help of these people and they start rebuilding the walls of the city. And they're building fast and they're diligent and they're passionate and they all believe we've got to do this. This is the right thing. This is the best thing. This is the good thing. So they started the work. But you know, because you've experienced this, progress seldom comes easy in life, right? Progress seldom comes easy. And usually when you're trying to make progress, there's always opposition, whether it's someone or whether it's spiritual opposition or there's just opposition. Almost always there will exist opposition when it comes to progress. So there was a group of people that were not happy that Nehemiah and his followers were rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. You can read the story, it's a great story, but I, I don't have time to read you all the verses, but there was a guy by the name of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And they were spearheading the opposition against Nehemiah. They were determined to make Nehemiah stop rebuilding that wall. So they tried to discourage, they tried to agitate, and they had all of these different strategies, but Nehemiah kept on building because Nehemiah, he knew what was wrong. He knew what needed to be done. He knew the right thing. He had a vision for it, he had a plan for it, and now he had the people and they were making it happen. And when the opposition tried to make him stop, he paid the opposition no mind. He didn't get distracted by them. He didn't get discouraged by them because leaders can't afford to get discouraged and leaders can't afford to get distracted. He kept on doing what he knew he needed to do in order to take what was wrong and make it right. So he kept on working. And so they kept on trying to get Nehemiah to stop rebuilding the wall. And they had a plan to harm him. They perhaps even kill him. And so they kept on trying to invite him to a meeting. And they were like, Nehemiah, you need to come down and you need to go meet us over here and we need to talk about this. Nehemiah understood that they had devious intentions behind their invitation. So he kept on and he kept on and he kept on and they kept on inviting him to come down and inviting him to come down. And finally, it says that in Nehemiah chapter six, he says, so I sent messengers to them because they kept sending messages to me. I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot, I will not come down. He believed that what he was doing was so important. He was not gonna be distracted. He was not gonna let up. He was not gonna stop. He was not gonna give up. He was not gonna give in. He'd been brokenhearted. He had a burden that became a vision. He got curious. He got a plan. He had courage. He inspired other people to join him. And he was not about to quit now. He says, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work and I will not come down. That's what Nehemiah teaches us about being leaders. Whatever leadership you have, whatever that leadership looks like, at home, in the community, in the local church, in the organization where you work, 
Wherever you find yourself with influence and wherever you decide to lead, understand that there will be opposition to progress. Refuse to quit, refuse to give up. Parents, you're trying to lead your kids somewhere, trying to teach them the right thing, trying to teach them the good thing. Some of those lessons have to be hard lessons. Some of those lessons have to be painful lessons. Some of those lessons are easy and some of them are sweet, but, but it's the whole hodgepodge of parenting. You're doing a good work. Don't come down. Don't come down to do it like other people. Don't come down to try to do it like the culture. Don't come down because you're worried that one day they're gonna grow up and resent you for it. You be mom, you be, bad, you be dad, you do the right thing. Don't come down off that wall. If you're a leader in the community and you're trying to address some of the things that are wrong in our community, some of the issues, some of the problems, some of the tragedies that exist in some of the dark corners of where we live at in our part of the world, don't get distracted, don't get discouraged, don't come down off that wall. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're trying to lead other people to follow Jesus and you're spending your time and you're inviting your friends and coworkers to dinner and to lunches and to coffee because you're trying to use all the influence you can to love them and to lead them to Jesus, don't get discouraged, don't get distracted, don't come off that wall. You're doing a great work. Don't give up, don't give in. Husband, you got a vision for your marriage. You got a burden, you're brokenhearted about how your marriage could look and how it should look. Don't come down off that wall. Ma'am, you've got a vision for your marriage. He's not there yet. He's not paying attention yet, but you're brokenhearted. You got a vision, you got a plan, you've got courage. Don't give up, don't come down off that wall. You're doing a good work. Don't come down. Don't get weary in well-doing. The apostle Paul would say, you will reap if you faint not. If you wanna lead a great life, figure out how to lead others. Figure out how to lead someone else to live a great life. Jesus said, the one who died for our sins was buried and raised from the dead. Jesus said, if you wanna be great, if you want a great life, if you want your best life, give it away. Serve those around you. Because if you wanna be the greatest of all, then you gotta be the servant of all. And that's what leaders do. They get brokenhearted about what's wrong. They begin to dream about what it would look like to be made right. They gather facts and they gather information and they get a plan. They get some gumption and courage in their heart. They get a still a spine, you know, a, a spine of steel and they stand up straight. They take action, they cast vision, they take a risk. And sooner or later, they find other people around them who want to do the same thing. And then they refuse to quit until they get the job done. And that's what Nehemiah and all the people involved in the project did. They finished the wall. They fixed what was wrong. What's wrong that we need to fix? What's the wrong that's breaking your heart? What's the wrong that's bothering you? What's the problem that needs a solution? What are we gonna do about it? Let's do the heroic thing. Let's decide to lead, whatever that looks like. Wherever you have influence, let's lead. Let's change the course of things. Let's make a difference. Let's advance good. Let's hold back evil by choosing to lead. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the life of Nehemiah who led and became a hero for his people. 
Thank you for the life of our Savior, Jesus, who told us that if we want to be great, to serve. Leadership is serving. Nehemiah, he was a man under authority, and that's how he learned to be a man in authority. God, help us to learn how to exist under your authority so that when we have the opportunity to be in authority, to have influence, that we will lead well, that we will lead others towards what's good, what's better, and what's best. In Jesus' name. Well, thank you so much for being with us today for the Creek Church Online. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. I hope you're paying attention to where you have influence in your life, whether it's at home, among friends, at the office, in the community, where it is that you have influence, you have the potential to lead. So do the heroic thing and start leading. Hey, if you call the Creek Church your church, your last opportunity to give begins right now. You can follow the directions that are there on the screen and know that your generosity is helping us send this message out to thousands of people. We send it out on Facebook, thecreekchurch.com, podcasts, emails. We use every available means to get the message of the gospel out to as many people as possible. And during this season of social distancing and being absent from the physical gathering, your generosity, it means more than ever. So thank you so much for your consistency in your generosity during this season. If you're new to faith or you're new to generosity, you can give now for the first time and know that it's safe and easy. And every single week, hundreds of people just like you, they give sacrificially, they give with a heart of generosity and God uses it to change lives. And I would invite you to give God a chance to prove himself strong as you practice a lifestyle of generosity. I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you back here next week on the Creek Church Online. Have a great day.